All right, we're going to go ahead and get started, and um, we're going to talk about worship. And when we are singing together in worship, there are times when it might seem like we're getting very emotional. Some people probably find it too emotional, and I get that. But uh, there is an opportunity there. It's, it's not just about getting all sentimental. It's more than just singing words to like be nice to God. Among other things, we are declaring what we know to be true. And God delights when his people gather before him and declare truths about him and his love. He is glorified in this, and we are edified, like we are built up during our times of worship. You know, like when you're working on something really hard and a friend or family member or a coworker helps and encourages you, maybe they point out like the truth, like the importance of what you're doing. That's partly what we're doing when we sing. So it's not just like the upwards nature of worship. It's outward too in that we are encouraging each other in the walk of our faith. And I love this chorus that we sing all the time that goes, there is a king of glory. There is a God who saves, one who is strong and mighty. Freedom is in his name. Declaring all these truths in our lives is a very inspiring and a very comforting thing. That's part of what we do on Sunday morning. But honestly, here lately, uh, my worship on Sunday mornings has been a way for me also to remind myself of the truth and the unifying power of God's love. Because honestly, it's really easy to lose focus. It's easy to get distracted from God's love, his love that binds us together. And I don't think I'm the only one. See, we're in this moment in time because of um, the lasting effects of COVID and the political fallout where I find myself wrongly, wrongly losing faith in other people. And our differences of opinion have been wretched out of us like nausea. We can get really gross and mean-spirited with each other, and it's been absolutely detrimental to our well-being spiritually, physically, in every way imaginable. And I'm in the front of the line on that one. We can't keep on going like this. And I can't keep on going like that. But every Sunday morning, I come to this place where we all have differences of opinion, and at the same time, we are all on this same road together. Like, we've got to make room for each other. And not only that, but to encourage each other. Like, if we talk about differences of opinion, um, especially if it's something we would consider of, like, faithful-level importance, then we should have those conversations, of course. But on Sunday mornings, I come into this place to declare that you are my brother. I come into this place to declare that you are my sister to declare that we are family, that God's love is what unites us. Christ's presence is what heals us. His salvation is among us. So declaring that truth, that we are all in this together with God, is a cornerstone principle. That's what we're doing when we're singing. It's just part of what we're doing, but it's a really big part. Another thing that we declare is that God is already victorious. The battle against evil in the heavenly realm is already won, but we still have to stay vigilant here on earth. So as we sing on Sunday mornings, we encourage each other with that truth, the truth that God truly loves us and gave up everything for us. The battle is already won, and we can celebrate that in the midst of the battle. And I know that seems really weird, but think about that. 
God exists outside of time. The end has not yet come, but we already know the plot line. We already know the ending of the story. So there's hope. Let's uh, read Ephesians 5, verse 15 through 20. It says, So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts and give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Sing truth. Sing it out to God. Sing it to each other and celebrate the victory and peace that Jesus brings. I love it that that is what worship is. And now we need to keep in mind that as we do this, we need to do it in good faith. Uh, we need to mean the words that we speak and the words that we sing. We need to tell the truth. When we need to live lives that reflect the truth, that reflect the path that we say we are on. Because honoring God with our words should reflect our actions, especially our actions towards others. So if you're singing these songs on Sunday mornings, but during the week you disparage other people all the time, that's like you're doing it wrong, right? Like we need to have every intention of living out our words that we sing every Sunday before we go out and face the real world on Monday. So worship is deep, it is emotional, and I believe it is vitally important in a life of faith walked out with all the people around us. And I'd like that uh, to stay in the top of our minds as we stand together, and we will sing a song together. So I want to invite you to stand. Let's pray before we start singing. God, thank you so much for the truth that you love us, that you bind us together with your love. You unite us, and you have saved us. The battle is won. We are together here celebrating your salvation together. We worship you right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's talk about worship from... Uh from my perspective, and like I know, and a lot of you, um, like generally speaking, when we do a, a, a Polaris service, the first 20 minutes, 25 minutes, are worship songs, and for some of you, that's like the best 25 minutes of your week. It's certainly the best 25 minutes of any given service. Like it, it uh, amps you up, and there, there are plenty of people that you know they they choose Polaris because of the quality of the worship presentation and then the engagement of worship, and you get it. And, and so it's like this. Uh, the, the spiritual, the, your spiritual life is a lot like anything else in life where there are certain, you have strengths and you have weaknesses. And for some of you, like, it's just like throne room experience. You're there, you're in it, you're feeling it. You connect with Jesus through uh, worship. And then others of you, not so much. Well, I speak for the not-so-much crowd. I don't do as well. Like, I, I, like worship through song for me, largely because I can't sing. Not that that should matter, but it kind of does. Worship uh, for me isn't as, as much of a connective experience. But there are, there are places in my life, there are reasons that I have found worship very, very important. So what I'm going to do is we weave back and forth from me and Marcus... Um, is kind of kind of 
tell you uh, from my perspective why worship through song is very helpful for me, even though it's not like my number one, it's still very, very helpful for a couple of reasons and therefore an important part of my and anyone's growing walk with Jesus. And I mean that. It's just a little more difficult for some than it is for others. So let's start like this. Have you ever, um, have you ever had a dream and in that dream you realize you're dreaming? Anybody like have had that moment where you're dreaming and you, you realize you're dreaming and, and uh, it can go one of two ways. Good dream, you realize you're dreaming, you wake up and you try to go back to sleep as fast as you can to maybe re-engage with the dream. Bad dream, I found myself at times, wait, this is a dream. And then like, ah, wake up, you know, that kind of thing where you're trying to like wake up. And then, you, and then you wake up, and it's like, okay, whew. yep, just a dream, here I am, back to reality, in my room, all is well, and you know those moments where you, like, you, you wake yourself up and realize, okay, that wasn't even real, this is real, I'm good, we're good. When it comes to, when it comes to worship, one of the things that I find is that in worship, I wake up to a greater reality. When I, when I worship um, in moments of song, and so for me, when I talk about worship through song, a lot of it is just me listed. It's, it's AirPods, okay? Because I don't, I don't do real well on Sunday morning because, like, take this morning, for example. Um, you know, I, Polaris isn't the most punctual church, and I'm always trying to meet new people out in the lobby. It's where I got to know a lot of you. Uh, by name and, and interact with you guys. Um, also, any given Sunday, like this morning, I was feverishly preparing those um, hastily put together handouts for, for uh, everybody at 940 because I realized that, that there were projector problems and I looked and I saw a police um, and, and stressed a little bit about a Polaris family that got rear-ended there uh, as they were turned in. And so, any given time when it, when it hits 10 o'clock, I can't just, you know, run in and be like, bam, I'm, I'm there in the throne room. So I, I, I struggle a little bit um, on Sunday mornings with that for a couple reasons. Um, but for me, a lot of my worship time with God comes through my AirPods while walking or in my office. And I'll just listen to Crowder or Matt Marr. And, uh, and so that's, for me, that's worship. And that... Uh, becomes for me sort of like uh, waking up from a dream. So let me read to you from uh, 1 Corinthians 7. And because that's down, I would love for you to go ahead and grab a Bible in front of you, <coughs> one of the blue Bibles, and turn to 1 Corinthians 7. <coughs> oh, is, that, is, is there any more light that can be given? You may have to go with uh, your phone flashlight. Yeah. Got anything else in the tank? Okay. All right. So, um, 1 Corinthians 7, 29 through 31. And man, I hope that I have that verse written down right now that, now that, I'm, uh, <laughs> now that I can't cheat. 1 Corinthians 7, 29. If you got it, yell out the number, please. Page number. 757? 1057. 
1057, okay. And I'm hoping it starts out, what I mean, brothers and sisters. You with me? Okay, good. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of this world as if not engrossed in them for this world in its present form is passing away. Now that's a strange little passage, um, especially with that first, uh, first line there. Those who have wives, those who are married, should live as though they are not. There are days where you want to claim that, right? Um, I'm kidding, never me. Never me. I've heard some of you that say that. <laughs> obviously, obviously Paul's not saying, Ooh, go live like you're not married. Um, do whatever you want. Ignore your spouse. Um, you look at the context and what he's saying is there's some, there's some pieces of this world that create a lot of felt attachment and a lot of concerns that go along with it. And because what he said, he says the time is short, what he seems to be advocating for is a healthy detachment from the things of this world that create stress. Marriage creates a lot of good things. It also, the idea of family, can create a lot of stress. There's a lot of things to worry about when you have a family. Just like any other piece of our identity, whether it's career or or uh, social status, or any, you know, we all know the things. Paul says you ought to live as though you're not, and as though things are passing away quickly, because there's the, 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 the money line for me is for this world in its present form, in its present form, is passing away. And you think about it, whether we talk about, you know, the, the politics, what if, what if Paul said, I mean, if he said so for, ma- for marriage, maybe today he would say, those of you that are Americans should live like you are not. <clears throat> and obviously, I don't think, you know, the Bible is against us owning our, our, our identity here, our tribal identity, our country identity. But I think what he's saying is, you know what, if you're a little too attached to your identity as Americans, maybe you should live like you're not and stop one out of your mind over all the politics because this world in its present form is passing away. I don't care how perfect your side of the aisle gets it. This world in its present form is passing away and it's not the ultimate answer. Or whether it's uh, with, a, with a company, you're stressed about you know, your job and it's, uh, maybe you should live as though you are not employed in the sense that whatever you're anchored to, it's passing away. And so maybe you should live as though you're not. And for me as I related to waking up from a dream. Worship through song for me has become the perfect way to for a few minutes detach and wake up to a greater reality. There's this epic moment in the book of Genesis where Jacob has a dream and wakes up and he says, surely um, uh, God was in this place and I never knew it. And there's this perfect, like, 
like, like moment of, of him having a realization that's like he had woken up to a greater reality. And, and when it comes to worship and, and creating detachment, what it's really doing is we're waking up to, oh, it's not about this. It's about this greater thing. It's about this bigger thing. And so, like, for me, with, with worship, um, you know, if I, whether it be a Crowder song or a Matt Moore song or whatever it is, um, um, not only are there set words, and when you know the words, it makes it even better. When the words are memorized, it makes it even better because your brain just kind of goes along with that and it keeps thinking about other things. There's uh, music, which, you know, turn it loud enough and your thoughts can't run wild. There's a timing to the delivery of the words. So as you have the thoughts, there's a timing that keeps your mind focused. And it's just become this perfect way for me to detach from all the noise and all the concerns. Because now, during the song, especially when I know the song, I will be thinking about the words and the timing of the words. Most scriptures are, most uh, um, songs are, worship songs are built around like, a, like a, a, a scripture theme. So my mind is now uh, detached from the rest of the world and pretty focused on this set of thoughts and timing with music to keep me from being distracted. And it creates a moment of detachment. So when I look at, when I look at 1 Corinthians 7 and Paul says, hey, try this. For me, worship through music becomes the discipline, because that's what it is for me, discipline, that helps me to detach momentarily from all the stuff of this temporary world that is fading away quickly and wake up to the greater reality of my eternal friendship with God and of God's greater purposes for all of this. So let's uh, stand again, right? And give that a shot while we work through, sing through this song. So another thing that we are doing when we worship together on Sunday mornings is we are finding comfort from the heart of God. And there's seasons in everyone's life where the chips are down, and that's just the truth of this world. So after we have encouraged each other that God's peace is there for us, we have to actually do the resting in his presence. And that is done by opening our hearts and allowing God to work in us. Heart-oriented worship is always God's desire. Psalm 51 verse 17 says, My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. What's hard is when we feel the weariness of our daily life, our hearts are prone to retreat from God and find refuge in other things. Yet singing truths to God helps us follow David's example of forcing our soul to fix its gaze upon the God who rules and reigns over all of our sorrows. Another Psalm, Psalm 42, in verse 11, it says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. I love that verse because it acknowledges that our soul sometimes are cast down. But the line is tagged with a statement of hope and what will happen. I will praise him and continue to praise him for he is my king and my savior. We see another truth in that passage. Part of finding peace is acknowledging how hard things are and how hard life is and even letting out the frustration because you can't go through life pretending that things are always hunky-dory. 
Um, and I call that the Ned Flanders approach. For, the, for those of you who aren't extreme TV nerds, Ned Flanders is a character from The Simpsons who does his best to like always be positive and not let on when he is miserable or upset or frustrated. Uh, and if you really pay attention, you know that Ned Flanders really is frustrated pretty much all the time. And he's really just, uh, he's miserable. <laughs> he feels all the same human emotions that the rest of us feel, but he just tries to hide it. And I think we can learn from that guy is kind of like a cautionary tale. Uh, you can't really experience the rest that God brings um, when you aren't also acknowledging the hardships that you've had. Uh, or you're having in your everyday life. And acknowledging this pain is called a lament. Um, and there are many parts of the Bible where people do just that. Um, and so Psalm 6 comes to mind for me, and I'm going to read it. <clears throat> it says, Lord, do not rebu rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am faint. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord, how long? Turn, Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. Among the dead, no one proclaims your name. Who praises you from the grave? I am worn out from my groaning. All night long, I flood my bed with my tears, and I drench my couch with my tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fall, uh, they fail because of all my foes. Away from me, all you who do evil, for the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies will be overwhelmed with shame and anguish. They will turn back and suddenly be put to shame. And so we can look at that as kind of a modern day, life is hard and there's pain in there. And, and, um, but I love that verse certainly uh, because uh, things in life are extremely hard and it seems like everything is against us. But God is good, and he will overcome. And there are people around us everywhere that are on our side. And um, You know, we may not sing a lot of songs of lament at Polaris because, you know, we don't want to always be down in the dumps. But I do think it's important to affirm and try to include prayers that acknowledge the hardships that we have in everyday life. And that's why I do, you know, when I pray between songs and stuff, I'll, you know, I'll get emotional. We'll pray about things that are hard. Um, but the, I think that's really important uh, in a life of faith. I'm going to read Psalm 42 one more time, uh, the whole thing now. And then after that, I'm going to ask us to stand and we'll sing a song that's actually inspired by the psalm that we're about to read together. So Psalm 42 says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the Almighty with shouts of joy and praise among the festive people. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why are you so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I will remember you from the land of Jordan, from the heights of Hermon, from the Mount Mizar, deep calls to deep in the roar of your waters. Like the deepness of God calls out to the deepness in our hearts. I think that's a beautiful thing. So deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All of your waves and breakers have swept over me. 
By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying all day long, where is your God? Why are you so downcast? Why are you so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. So let's stand, and I want us to sing that, sing that together. You know, the older I get, um, with every added, with every new gray hair, um, uh, the more I appreciate in Scripture uh, the full range of emotion. And I think that gives us a clue that, I mean, that's just, that's the healthiest way to live with the full range of emotion. I, I, you're moved by Job, who, the guy who lost everything and says, even though you slay me, God, yet I will praise you. Like, there's deep feeling and emotion at Or the Psalms, like Marcus talked about, I mean, there are moments where David's like, everything is awesome, and I'm awesome because God's awesome. And then there are moments where he's like, I hate myself, and I wish my mom gave birth to me as a stillborn baby, and just goes on a rant of like how just, just you, you just see both sides uh, a full range of emotion, and even in Jesus, you see everything from joy to, to intense uh, uh, sorrow and, and even a little bit of fear. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's an incredible range of emotion that the scriptures invite us in, and I think it's important to, um, uh, to find both of those uh, in, our, in our lives and not just go all out for the optimism at all costs or the pessimism and cynicism. Um, so there's this moment in, uh, in, in, in Jesus' teaching. It's in John 7. Um, go ahead and turn there if you don't mind. I would love for you to actually see these words and read over them. And um, maybe if you're not familiar with scripture, you'll get um, a little taste of what, it, what it's like to, to look through. It's, in, it's a gospel. It means it's one of the biographies of Jesus. Uh, when somebody gets to John 7, if you could kind of yell out the 909. 909. <laughs> 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 right. Turn the page. <laughs> when what's the SNL sketch? The coach. Uh, you know, the coach that was like, <laughs> and they don't know what to, anyway. I don't know. That's how my mind. No. I thought somebody said it. Okay, John 7. If you got it, good luck. Congratulations. All right. It says, On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So, first of all, just the promise of that, like, doesn't that sound amazing that, that 
living water, that Jesus says, you come to me and living water will flow through you. Because a lot of seasons in life, in my experience, feel more like a, like a desert than like a lush. Not always. I mean, there's, there's a lot of really good seasons of life where really good things happen, but then uh, we, hit these, we hit these deserts. When I was in, in Israel, I remember we were driving to the, red, to the um, Dead Sea, which is the, the, the salt sea where it's like all salt and, and, and like intense salt water. Nothing can live. That's why it's called the Dead Sea. And you get in the Dead Sea and, and you can't sink. Like your body literally just, you feel like you're zero gravity um, um, kind of bobbing in the, in the Dead Sea. But, it, but it, it is like, it is wicked hot. Like, I, like, like, get me back on the air-conditioned bus. I don't care if I'm in Israel, hot in this desert. And it is, it is just um, barren and rocks and, and bright, like, like even with sunglasses on. Um, but then there's this one, uh, you're driving there, and, and there's this one um, oasis, and it's the only time I've ever seen a real like oasis where there's this patch of somehow underground water, something, I don't know how it works, but there's, there's these palm trees and everything's green uh, for this, this uh, real short patch. But what we see kind of through Jesus is this idea of, of um, you know, is anyone weary? Is anyone spiritually just dry? Uh, I can give you living water that will flow through you onto eternal life. And I just, that, just that's, that sounds amazing, the imagery of, 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 uh, of an oasis, of, of endless water to uh, nourish our lives, our souls, our emotions. Um, and we learn from John's uh, interpretation of Jesus' words as he writes his gospel that Jesus is referencing the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit, interestingly enough, uh, often the imagery around the Holy Spirit has to do with, with water. Um, uh, the Holy Spirit shows up in Jesus' ministry when he's baptized and Jesus is in the water. The Holy Spirit descends. And then in Acts 2, um, we read that uh, Peter says, uh, repent and be baptized uh, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's like this moment that Peter equates with receiving the Holy Spirit. And, and so um, you, you have this imagery in the book of Romans of, of uh, linking, linking uh, baptism with like the death, burial, and resurrection, being drenched in God, the gift of the Holy Spirit. So there's this, there's this idea, uh, there's this close association in Scripture with the Holy Spirit and water. And I think it's, it goes to what Jesus says here, that even calling him uh, like the metaphor of, of, of a living stream, of living water, that through the Spirit, we are nourished. Through the Spirit, our souls are nourished. Now, in Romans, Romans 8, I'll just read it to you. Paul says this, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Children of God, led by the Spirit of God, children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves, so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship and daughtership. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. 
the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, I bring all this together in that um, um, Jesus says the Spirit of God is living water that brings uh, refreshment to our weary souls. And Paul says that the Spirit's activity is to call us to our identity as children of God. And there are plenty of scriptures that talk about the Spirit's role in worship, that through while we're worshiping, the Spirit is flowing through us, enabling us and helping us to form thoughts and words to God, even in our subconscious. Like even that we're not even understanding or thinking that it's all flowing through us, creating this connection to God. And so, so to put all those thoughts together, through worship, the Spirit of God does what He does. And what He does is He reminds us that we are children of God. Now, the word Abba, it says that He calls out Abba. Like He helps us to say Abba. That was the equivalent of a, it was a very casual, uh, like a dad um, or like you know a daughter calling her dad, Daddy. It was that kind of thing that, um, that the Holy Spirit did was, was created a nearness, a closeness, a, a felt availability, accessibility of God. And, and so we put all that together and, and we see that through the Holy Spirit, through worship, we're reminding ourselves, or the Holy Spirit is reminding us rather, who we are. And that becomes something that nourishes our soul on in through eternity reminding ourselves of our identity because we can get confused of that pretty easily but that the holy the holy spirit is at work through worship reminding us you're a child of god you can call him dad he's your dad he loves you imagery like that and it wells up in our soul now uh, we're going to take a minute uh to uh to observe uh to participate in communion and so if you're um, working to get that ready for us. You can go do that real quick while I give a brief explanation. Um, uh, elsewhere in, in John in the Gospels, Jesus um, he calls himself living water, uh, calls the spirit living water, uh, calls himself the bread of life, and uses this imagery of like infilling. And communion is one of those ways that, that, um, that the ancient church would center around their identity. Because ultimately, what does is, what is, uh, God as our dad tell us? That he loves us. And that's the real connection. Through worship, we are brought into union with God's love for us. And one of the great symbols of that is communion, where, you know, talk about the idea of, of, throwing, of Jesus flowing through you or in you. We eat it. We drink it. And it symbolizes Jesus in us, working through us. It also calls us back to the ultimate father love of God in that he paid our sins for us. He came for us to save us because we're his children, because that's what you do. You go save your children when they're in trouble. So the whole thing, the whole worship thing, is a, is a vehicle through which the Holy Spirit reminds us of who we are and how loved we are. And that then nourishes our soul because what greater thing could be true than we are God's children and he's going to love us for all eternity.